0: Um, I can wear this for three reasons. I have the qualification to wear it. I I have the experience to wear it. And uh, and I bought it at Birch's about 20 years ago. (laughs) And it's been in my cupboard for a long time. And uh, so this is not the the new Bay City preaching attire. It's just a one-hit wonder. Um, I'm ditching my vans and my jeans just for for one, one Sunday morning. Guys, lovely to see you. We are starting a new series called Advance. There it is up on the, on the, on the screen behind me, A Journey Through the Book of Acts. And um, the word advance is a military term. It's not like Monopoly, where you advance beyond begin and then get 200 bucks. It's a, it's a military term. It is a term that denotes combat and warfare. That's what it means. That's what advance means. Advance means that you would, with your army, you would advance into enemy territory to take ground for whatever and whoever you would be serving. That's advance. Advance implies tough times, difficulty, setbacks, arm-to-arm combat, struggle. But ultimately, the mission is actually to advance and to advance and to advance until there's domination. That's what advance means, just so we're clear. And in conventional military language, it entails harm to people and nations. That's what it means. But we believe believers in Jesus. So for us, what advance means is different. Because it says in Ephesians 6 verse 15 that our fight is not against flesh and blood. So when we advance, it's not against flesh and blood, it's actually, it's against what Ephesians says, the powers of this dark world. It sounds kind of like Hogwarts, eh? like mysterious, and I mean the whole look makes it sound quite ethereal, except that you and I actually have been called to engage in warfare on a spiritual level, in the heavenly realms. And what you must understand about the Bible is that there's actually a practical reality in which you live now, and then there's a spiritual reality which mirrors what we what we see now. I don't know, Has anyone ever watched Stranger Things? Put your hands up. I've watched it. I love it. Put your hands up. Okay. So in Stranger Things, there's the upside down. It's actually closer to a biblical understanding than most of you realize. There's a there's a spiritual reality. And it's mirrored in an earthly, practical reality now. And so there's a significance that happens on earth that echoes in heaven. And there's warfare that happens in heaven that's actually taking place on earth. And I don't have time to go there now, but you actually need to go and read Matthew chapter 1 and 2. And then you go to Revelation chapter 12 and you'll see it's the same event. One is in a spiritual realm. Other one is on earth. It's the birth of Jesus. And so we are called... To battle. We're called to battle. And not just men. Even though I'm talking about military terms and advancing in warfare, ladies and men are called to battle. God invented and created fierce people. Fierce hearts. So there's some ladies here with with an unbelievable fierce character. But they spend their time in feminist agendas. You're not called to feminist agendas. You're called to fight for the kingdom. And he's created strong men. And so we're not called to be chauvinists, we're called to stand up and fight for the kingdom, and fight for our families, and fight for truth. That's what we've been called to. And you might say to yourself, well, I don't know if I'm part of that because I didn't choose it. Here's the bad news, is that spiritual warfare, there's no Switzerland. There's no neutrality. You can't be neutral. You can't be in the middle, being the banker you either on Jesus' side or you're not. There's no fence sitting. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the gospel, the glorious good news of Jesus Christ and how it has been, how it is now, and how it will keep advancing and advancing and advancing until there's complete victory. The question is, Whose side are you on? So, good morning. It's nice to see you. If you can open your Bibles, please. We're going to read, and then I want to speak about three things this morning. I want to speak about the mission. I want to speak about the accuser, and I want to speak about the healer. So, if you can open your Bibles, we are going to start in Matthew 28 at uh, verse 16. It's the last chapter of Matthew. Jesus has been crucified, he's been resurrected, and he appears to his disciples now getting them ready for what's to come. And it says, then the eleven disciples, please read with me, then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. But some doubted. Not Thomas, some doubted. Some doubted. There were twelve there was a traitor. The enemy got him early on, took him out at the knees. He's dead. There's doubters and there's worshipers. That's a picture of our church. In this church, there will be people that are traitors. They, their lives are not surrendered to Jesus Christ. There are doubters. There are people that are struggling with things in the scriptures. We met with people this week and they love the idea of God blessing them, but hell freaks them out. They're not sure if Jesus is actually the Son of God, although they'll agree He's a real man. You see, there's doubters in the church. And then they're worshipers. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you. Always to the very end of the age. The Gospel of Matthew ends with this scripture, and it's called the Great Commission. But to understand it, you've got to break it up into two words. Because it's actually the co-mission. It's a co-mission. It's a mission with somebody. We are called to co-mission with Jesus. That's what it's about. And it is an active term, it is a military term. Mission is military. It's active. It's not passive. We met with some people this week and they say they don't come to church but you know the husband and wife do devotionals every morning. That's wonderful. That's passive. You are called to be active. To actively engage. That's mission. That's what we are called to be. Actively engaged. And it's not Jesus is calling you into it. He has already called you into this. He's already called us. We have been called. And our mission Is not to harm or to hurt people or property or tribes or nations or tongues. Our our mission is to love people and to witness to them and it's to disciple them and it's to baptize them and it's to teach them. That's what our mission is. Not like religious robots, it's getting to know people and loving them so that we can liberate them because the enemy has taken them captive. That's what happened. Satan takes people captive. They're captive to addictions. They're captive to themselves. They're captive to guilt. They're captive to shame. And so our job is to help liberate them. That's the mission. It's about liberating captives. Satan's entrapped them. He's bound them tightly. So tightly, it'll take spiritual warfare to get them set free. Uh, Lee and I had dinner on Friday night with a couple. And um, we met under very interesting circumstances. And a couple of months later, we had dinner with them. And we got to listen to their story. And we got to love them and we got to have food with them and some wine with them and it was wonderful. But we told them about Jesus. We told them the gospel. They are under no illusion who we serve. Because that's the mission. That's the mission. That's the mission. And we told them our testimony. But our job is not to save them. That's... That's not part of our mission. You see, you must remember we're in co-mission with somebody else. We're partnering with Jesus. His job is to save them. Ours is to go, to disciple, to baptize, to teach the Lord. His job is to save them. And it was the same with the disciples. He sent them out. He discipled them. He baptized them, and then he taught them to obey everything he'd commanded so that they would go, and they would disciple, and they would baptize, and they would teach, and so there would be more disciples, and the disciples would make disciples, and the disciples would make disciples, and that's how the kingdom advances. That's how the kingdom advances, and you don't have to save anybody. It's Jesus' job. Because it says in 1 Corinthians 3, it says, one plants, one waters, and God gives the increase. is not on us to save people. I'm not a savior. I couldn't save myself. Sounds so simple. Sounds wonderfully simple. But if it sounds so simple, why do we struggle with evangelism? Why do we struggle with it? I struggle with it too. It's not, not, this is not aimed at you. I struggle with evangelism, struggle with teaching. Why do we struggle with it? If we've been called to go, disciple, teach, baptize everybody in this room, it's not the elders' job. It's not the elders. Listen to me, guys. It's not the guys in the front. It's not our responsibility. It is the saints' responsibility of which I'm also one of them. It's our responsibility. But why do we struggle with it? After Jesus gives the Great commission to the 11. Um, We pick up the story in Acts. So if you can please put up Acts 1. And uh, we're going to go through verses 3 to 8. After his suffering, that's after his death and resurrection. This is Luke speaking now. Luke's recorded this. It says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He was dealing with the doubters. Remember, it wasn't just Thomas. There were other in the 11 that were doubting. It says some were doubting. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my Father has promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is amazing. This this is amazing for me. They spent three years with Jesus. They lived with him. They walked with him. They watched the miraculous take place. They saw miraculous healings. They, they, They saw Peter walk on water. They watched Jesus transfigured on a mountain. They watched the... Blind receiving sight. They watched lame people walk. They watched crippled, shriveled hands come right. They watched Lazarus being resurrected. They witnessed Jesus' life, his death on a cross, and his resurrection. They are witnesses of Jesus Christ, these 11. They are witnesses of the resurrection. They are witnesses of the gospel. And then 40 days. For 40 days, Jesus teaches them about the kingdom of God. 40 days. Guys, 40 days sitting under someone teaching, telling you about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Every day for 40 days, you heard about the kingdom of God. There can be like no confusion. So these guys are witnesses. They've seen it with their own eyes. They are called, they're the eleven. And they're equipped. Forty days they've been told about the kingdom of God. And yet Jesus tells them to wait. It's amazing. He's just told them, you're going to go. You're going to go. You're going to disciple. You're going to baptize. You're going to teach. Now they've spent three years with him. And 40 days he's taught them about the kingdom of God exclusively. And he says, you're going to wait. Isn't that amazing? He tells them to wait. He tells them to wait. What they're waiting for. What they're waiting for. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. Isn't that incredible? You can come in and out these doors for three years and 40 days hearing about the kingdom of God. Unless you receive the Holy Spirit, you will not witness, you will not go, you will not disciple, you will not teach, you will not baptize. And we can be the most ineffective Christians in the whole world. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Forty days, eh? He's spoken about the kingdom of God. They asked this question, are you going to at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive what? When what comes on you? And you will be my? witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the power has got to come from somewhere. It's not from us. It's not from us. There's got to be power. There's got to be power. This is the second time he says it. Because the first time he says, he says it, they say to him, are you not going to just fix Israel quickly? He says, I've spoken to you 40, for 40 days about the kingdom of God. Eh? Now you're asking me about Israel. It's amazing, sometimes we get so sidetracked by what we need in our lives. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my what? Witnesses. You cannot witness, you cannot go, you're not going to baptize, you cannot teach unless the power of the Spirit comes upon you. But the question is why do we need the Holy Spirit? I mean, why do we need it? To be a witness. If you watched a car crash now if you witnessed a car accident on the corner of Cape Road and Fundestel or Cape Road and whatever near Macro, if you witnessed it, and I put you in the witness box to testify, would you need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that? Hey? I mean, you can tell me what happened. There's a red courser and t bone You could tell me the story. Why do you need the Holy Spirit? They've been with Jesus. They've, they're our witnesses. We are not our witnesses to the resurrection. They are our witnesses. Why do they need the power of the Holy Spirit? Why do we need it? It's an amazing question. What do we need it for? They are witnesses. They've seen it. If you interviewed Peter, he would say, I got out Jesus was calling to me. He held out his hand. I lost faith. I sank. They are witnesses, and yet they need the power of the Holy Spirit. Guys, it's war out there. I want to tell you it's warfare. This is warfare. That's why the series is called Advance. This is spiritual warfare. It is dangerous stuff. It is dangerous stuff being a witness for Jesus. Because we have an enemy that is very, very, very dangerous. And he's very cunning. And so to take him on, you need supernatural power. Who's been in court before? Put your hands up. In a witness box? In a witness box as a witness or an accused? I'm not going to ask you which. Put your hands up. (laughs) I mean, we know which one of you. We know. know. Okay? Been in a witness box? It's not a fun place to be, huh? So I used to be a starts enclar when I was young, in my 20s. I was a starts enclar so I used to look smarter than this every day. And I used to love to cross-examine people. I used to love it. That's where a witness will testify about something that they've seen or potentially heard. And the witness would sit in the witness box, and there'd be a judge in the court who would adjudicate. And the job of the witness would be to test the veracity, the truthfulness of that evidence. We would test it, and we'd use a number of tactics in order to try and discredit the witness and his version of events. And we would question the truthfulness of the event, so we would pick holes in the story. We would twist their words. We would undermine the witness's credibility, and we would, if we had the opportunity, absolutely assassinate the character of the witness. That's what you're allowed to do when you cross-examine And we would test this. And I want to tell you, it is a terrifying thing to be in a witness box, whether you're an accused or a witness, in the hands of someone who's masterful in cross-examination. It is a terrifying thing. Good and truthful people fall apart in the witness box. I once made a guy collapse in the witness box. I'm not proud of it. He was guilty, and I turned the screws on that guy so tight, eventually he couldn't handle it, and he actually collapsed in the box. It is a terrifying thing to be there. Revelation 12.10 says that Satan is the accuser of the brothers, and he accuses them before God day and night. So the picture is a courtroom. The picture is a courtroom. God is a just judge. He's a perfectly just judge. And you've got God on the bench. You've got Satan as the accuser, and he is having a proper go at the witnesses. Guys, when you witness for Jesus Christ, you've got to know that you have an enemy that will take you out. He wants to take you out. He wants to take you out. He will speak to you of your unworthiness. And he will aim to discredit your sonship, your new birth. He will remind you of all the guilt and the shame and the misdeeds that you've done. He is so tactful. He will try and convince you that you're not a child of God, that you are disqualified. And Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt that when you're trying to witness to a family member and you know that they know that you shoplifted chappies? You know that, eh? and you just kind of have that memory like, yes, they know. They know what I was like before, and you have that thing in you. just, it, it just It's almost like that thought just creeps in, my unworthiness, my guilt, my, my past shame, and it just takes the edge off. Just takes you out of the knees. He will undermine your character. Satan will undermine your character. He will twist your words. He will remind you of how weak you are and how broken you were. He will make you question yourself. He will even make you question your salvation. He's that crafty. He's that good. He will make you question the love of God over your life. And I want to tell you, he's not just limited to thoughts. He can oppose you spiritually. He can oppose you physically. He can oppose you financially. He can oppose you relationally. Because we're living in a world where there's a spiritual dynamic to it. And so Satan can oppose you in any way he chooses. And I want you to know that when you're going to witness Jesus Christ, you're going to come upon the accuser. You're going to come upon the accuser. He will do everything in His power to make you fearful. Have you ever wondered, when you're in a life group or a prayer meeting, and, or if you're praying for people privately, have you ever wondered when you ask them things to pray for? It's fear and anxiety and peace. Like 90% of the time, it's in the mix. Why are Christians so scared? Honestly, why are we so scared? Why are we so full of anxiety? Why are we so full of chaos and demanding peace that God would give us? Why? It's only one reason. It's because Satan uses that very tactic to undermine you. He will, he will terrify you so that you are completely ineffective as a Christian. He'll take you on because it's war. And he'll give you an easy way out. He'll, he'll, he'll get you to simply recant or, or to turn away from Jesus, it's much easier sometimes because the battles that you fight as a witness are tough. He'll get you to, to deny Jesus. And the easiest of all sometimes is just to keep quiet. It's just to keep quiet when we have to speak out. But in Revelation 12, 11, it says they overcame him. This is how you overcome They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Every single Christian in here has got a testimony about Jesus. Twice this week, people have asked me my testimony. I can tell you Jesus is real because I have a testimony. And I can sit down with you and I can tell you Jesus is real. Can't argue with me. It's impossible. I've witnessed what he's done in my life. If you want to overcome Satan, when you're washed with the blood, you are protected from cross-examination. When you're reminded what Jesus has done in your life, you're protected from cross-examination because the blood's dealt with your guilt, dealt with your shame, dealt with your mess, dealt with your disqualification. It's dealt with it. It's not even about you anymore. It's about Jesus. And then our testimony is so powerful. And Satan doesn't want that testimony released. But so often when it comes down to the crunch time, in Acts 1 verse 6, it says, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Can the music team come up? Just play softly, please. That is a, an amazing question. It is an amazing question. Lord, are you going to at this time come and restore the kingdom to Israel? If we put that in South African terminology, you know what that would sound like? Lord, can you just sort out the ANC for me? That's what they're asking because it's under Roman domination. Can you just sort out the C? He's just told him about the kingdom of God for 40 days. The kingdom. This is what the kingdom's going to look like. This is what it's going to be about. This is the kingdom of God. Let me teach you about the kingdom of God. Lord, will you just sort out the ANC? Will you just fix my marriage? Lord God? I don't need the Holy Spirit. If, If you can just fix my marriage, can you just fix my finances? Can you just sort out my business, Lord God? Can you just give me a partner, Lord God? Can you just give me the things that I need? But you don't have to do the rest, Lord God. I don't need your power. I don't need the Holy Spirit. Just fix this. And we do it too. How many of us, and I'm I'm speaking about myself, how many of us have found and met people in distress and hardship and heartache, and I offer to pray for them, but I don't testify? I don't testify. How many of you have done that? You meet people, and they're like in absolute distress. Don't worry, this is the only thing I'm taking off. It's just very hot up here. <laughs> Have you ever done that? You go and you meet people, and they tell, you, they tell you the depths of their soul. And what you do is you pray that God would fix that thing in their life, but you don't tell them about Jesus. Yeah? How many times? Lots. I've done it lots. I've prayed for all sorts of things for all sorts of people. You know, John Piper says that it's like this. It's like, it's like giving someone a panado for the fever when you've got the antibiotic in your pocket that's what he says like why would you do that like who would do that who would meet someone with an infection give them the panado to sort out the fever but, not, but withhold the antibiotic who would do that and I've done it so many times where I'm scared to witness or I think I can get away with a quick prayer I've got great words I've got a whole vocabulary that I can use makes me sound really clever and really religious but actually we don't get to the nuts and bolts of anything We have an enemy that terrifies us. He's an accuser. He's going to put you in the dock. And he doesn't want you to speak out. He doesn't want you to speak out about a testimony how Jesus has changed your life. Because if we do that, if we do that, we are going to go and we're going to make disciples. And then we're going to baptize them. And then we're going to teach them. And then they're going to do the same as what we did. And they're going to make more disciples. And then he's got a problem. So the question is, whose side are you on? A traitor? And I mean that with love. There's always a t- time to turn back. Judas didn't, have, did, didn't, didn't understand grace. That's why he couldn't turn back. He didn't understand. He didn't have a theology of grace. That's why he hung himself. Peter also betrayed Jesus. But you might, be, you might be someone who's never surrendered to Jesus, coming in and out of the church, breathing in, thinking that somehow you have a relationship with Him. We want to deal with that this morning. You're a traitor. You're a doubter. Maybe the church has hurt you. Or you're a worshiper. I want to do business with Jesus this morning. Not in a weird way or a creepy way. I'm, I'm not into that stuff. I, I just want to, I want to do business with God this morning. And he's he's calling us into a deeper relationship with him. And what he wants to do is he wants to give us his power. He wants to give us his power so that so that we can fulfill the commission of the Bible boldly, with courage, with 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 effectiveness. And so, two things this morning. I want to pray for anybody who's never, ever surrendered to Jesus, who's, who's, who's walked their lives, coming into churches, thinking that they know Him, not really ex- experiencing the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the majesty of Jesus. You don't know Him. You don't know Him. Because you can't be in the gray area. Church is not a neutral zone. It's just a building here, guys. This is just a building. It's not a temple. You're not holy because you come in here. It's just, a, it's, just, it's just bricks and mortar and ceiling boards. It's about knowing Jesus. And so if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a pers- personal relationship, we're not trying to put you in the spotlight, but we want you to respond this morning. If you feel called after this message to respond, I just want you to stand. I'm going to ask someone to pray with you. That's it. There's nothing else. Is so anyone here this morning? Doesn't know Jesus, never made Jesus their Lord and Savior. This is how it goes: you confess it with your mouth that He's the Son of God, and you believe it in your heart that He died for your sins and rose again and beat death. Is so anyone here this morning that wants to make that commitment? I want to send someone to pray with you. And I feel like this morning we've been praying for it as a team this whole week we've been praying we've been praying we've been inviting the Holy Spirit into the space this morning so that people can have a fresh infilling of God's presence that the Holy Spirit can empower us can touch us can make us bold courageous powerful Christians in word and deed every single one of us not leaders not just the guys in the front not just the deacon team, everybody. That's the invitation. That's the invitation. And so can I ask this morning, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we want you to come forward. We want you to stand here. The music team's going to play. And, um, and we want to pray for you. We want to pray that the Holy Spirit will give you power this morning. That's the promise on offer in the Bible. And we stand on it. So you can stand with me, please. and Close your eyes. I want to pray for us. There's a cost, Lord God. There's a cost to being your disciple. And you've told us to weigh up that cost. It is the most wonderful thing to be yours. But it comes at a cost on this earth, Lord God. Because we have an enemy that wants our blood. That wants to come and rob and kill and destroy. That wants to fight against the kingdom of heaven and you have called every single one in this room to co-mission with you we know that we can't do this on our own in fact you know that we're too weak for that lord god you know that every single one here has a past you know that you've washed it clean We have an enemy that keeps reminding us of it and reminding us of it. An enemy that opposes us in everything, Lord God. And we are so consumed by our own lives and our own problems and our own struggles that we become ineffective for the kingdom. But you always have the solution. and You promised that you would send your Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. You would send him, Come upon us and fill us with power. Fill us with power to be your witnesses throughout the earth. And so I pray now, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come now? Would you come into this room now? Invite those who want to be filled by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Just to come to the front as the music team plays, we're going to pray for you a fresh infilling of his power if you're worn out by trying to run this Christian race on your own I invite you to come forward and just receive it says that you receive we're such a performance minded society you just have to receive it this morning just want you to receive it so come now fresh on us. If you have your way with us. If I can just have the deacons, if you, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, I want you to come and pray and lay hands on those. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit in this room, I want you to come and pray for people. I want you to come and lay hands on them. We transfer the power of God by the laying on of hands. It's an appeal to Him to give what He has promised. He says He promises us. It's a promise from heaven. We can trust Him. We can rely on Him. We can give ourselves to Him so that we are filled. And I pray this morning that things are going to break open in the heavenly realms for us that receive So we come and receive from you, Lord. We come and receive from you, Holy Spirit. We come and receive right now. We just receive your power. We receive healing in the name of Jesus. We receive restoration in the name of Jesus. We receive peace in the name of Jesus. We receive courage in the name of Jesus. We receive it. We receive it. Come upon us now.